Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Bunker. Pull down the blinds and encrypt your comms. Our fearless leader is on lockdown and back in his bunker after a long hiatus. He's providing his thoughts on the UFC, the state of MMA business, incriminating rumors, and the latest spicy headlines. Complete with the MMA tete-a-tete, featuring interviews with guests from the MMA community. Pay Bloody Elbow Podcast Substack subscribers will hear bonus content if available at the end of the broadcast. Be sure to subscribe at bloodyelbow.substack.com for our newsletter and at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com for our podcast network. Follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always on bloodyelbow.com. Thanks for listening. Here's your host, Kid Nate Wilcox. Hola, cage fighting connoisseurs. This is Kidnate of BloodyElbow.com, welcoming you to the MMA Tete a Tete, or maybe it's Tete a Tete. I don't know. I can't speak French, but today's guest is legendary MMA fighter Julie Kedzie. Julie, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you. Thanks for having me. And I have no idea how to pronounce. I think it's Tete a Tete. Tete a Tete. I don't know. Don't speak French either. It's been working for me, but Steph's been trying to make me say it without a tease. So, Ah. you know, but I'm, you know, I'm not going to listen to her. So (laughs) we'll just, we'll just keep going with that. So for those who don't know, who are not old school fans, you were a participant in what for many fans was the first high profile women's MMA bout to take place on a major card, which was Elite XC's uh, first card, Destiny. And you faced Gina Carano, who went on to big, big things in MMA and beyond, and then kind of sabotaged her career. But for a while, though, she was a <laughs> big time movie star. And then she went full MAGA or whatever and decided Disney wasn't a good partner for her. But that's beside our point. How did you get? How did you find yourself in that situation? How did you get into MMA? How did you, you know, what was your beginning of your martial arts journey? Was that before you even heard of MMA? How did you then morph into an MMA fighter? And then how did you work your way up to such a big event? Um, well, I started my martial arts journey at about four and a half, five years old in Taekwondo. Did it for quite a while. And uh, as time progressed, I learned new styles, new things to do. And, um, the first time I saw MMA was, um, and I always mess up the citation here, but it was like when Ken Shamrock and Hoyce Gracie fought for like the second time or the third time. It was like the 25. Yeah. I think that I think I always said UFC. Yeah. I think I always miscited as UFC three, but you know, sorry to everybody who doesn't know. UFC three was was supposed to have the rematch. Right. But Hoyce fought Kimo Leopoldo and got hurt and Ken, Proceeded to injure himself uh, in the semifinal round, and so neither Steve Jenham won that tournament. But anyway, back to that. that's right. Yeah, yeah, I remember because I remember I was fact checking myself on something I was writing, and I was like, "Oh, I've been saying this wrong forever, but nobody's called me out." So anyway, yes, yeah, so I saw that. Until fight, now, yeah, now right. You're in the kidnapped truth zone. So <laughs> that's right. Perfect. UFC five, but I, I saw that one, and um, I wasn't. I, I at the martial arts school I was training at. Um, there was uh, a CSW program at that time. Uh, Eric Paulson would come and teach seminars every now and then. And, and I really enjoyed that. Combat submission wrestling. Uh, yeah. So I, I would go to those seminars, but I never really trained super seriously in that. I was very interested in Muay Thai um, when I progressed from Taekwondo. Um, and like I saw that UFC and I thought it was the most boring thing I'd ever seen in my life. 
And then another person at the party said, well, watch this. And they put in, I don't think I saw that live. It may have been a tape. I, my timelines of all this get very screwy. Like I, I don't know. <laughs> I deal in logistics. 20 years ago, a lot of different, a minute, a minute account, I know, right. I I've got, I know other people can just like cite this, that, and the other thing. I'm like, great nerds. But the thing is like, I deal with, I have another job now. <laughs> you can only remember so much. And I did get hit in the head for a living. But regardless, <laughs> um, I, yeah, I saw that, um, but I didn't think it was interesting. And then um, the person who was hosting the party put on um, Hook and Shoot Revolution. And that was the one, um, the hook and shoot that featured uh, Christine Van Fleet versus Debbie Purcell as the main event. And I loved it. I thought it was incredible. I thought the women on there were incredible. And I was like, oh, I, they're way more exciting. And they look like me. They're built like me. You know what I mean? Like I've been a, always been a broad-shouldered broad. And so, like, you know, kind of a, <laughs> putting on the muscle. Like, and so they, you know, it, I had a connection there. And uh, it just kind of worked out. And I ended up getting my first fight on a hook and shoot card. I mean, it was in Indiana and I was living in Indiana coincidentally. And it kind of, yeah, that just kind of got my love for it. And, um, you know, I did, um, my early career definitely was <laughs> the rest of my career because I won my first fight and then I lost like three in a row and then won another one. Then lost. And it was like, you know, up and down and up and down, but it was so fun. Like, um, I've been working and I kind of put my book aside for a little bit. I was working on a book about all of it. Um, and, one of the things in my research that I just saw about myself was just how joyful I was in my early fights. Just freaking loved it. And it's, it's very hard to explain that. The joy of punching um, other women in the face. Yeah. Yeah. Or just, or maybe not even knowing what you're doing, but you're young and it feels right. And it's actually what you're meant to be doing. And you just, I don't know. It just, it like, to me, it, I translated very well into the sport um, even though, you know, I ended up sort of being more like a journeyman or a journey person than anything else. Like that's, you know, it's still like, it was something that I, it was the right, it was the right fit for me. MMA has always been the right fit for me. I would contend it's probably the, my big love in life, even though I'm no, you know, I have definite issues with it. It's a love hate relationship, but um, the sport itself and competing itself was, it was pretty incredible. And uh, I was hooked Um, about, I think it was, the Corano fight happened in 2007. I was offered that fight in 2006. I think like right before. No, before we get there, though, I want, I want to. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. I want to talk about hook and shoot a little bit more because for okay. most most fans have no idea how important hook and shoot was in the early days. Jeff Osborne was a promoter, but before he was a promoter, he had this little mimeographed stapled newsletter that hardcore degenerates like myself would send off for on the internet he would physically mail you an envelope a big fat envelope with with this newsletter and have you know latest fight news and then it would have a big catalog of bootleg vhs tapes that he would sell. <laughs> yeah. i'm not i'm not narking on jeff i mean like hopefully the statute of limitations on whatever piracy he was committing have passed but he had all these japanese fights pancrase rings shooto you know he could get you all the ufc prelims before you before those were widely available <laughs> you know and and for whatever reason i was desperate like i felt like every MMA fight everywhere was something I needed to see. I long ago gave up on, you know, seeing every MMA fight that ever happened. But at the time, that was my obsession. And then he starts promoting fights. And the card you mentioned was, I believe, the first all-women's MMA fight card in the United States. I think there had been some, in maybe three in Japan before that. I could be wrong about that. But um, 
But then you did, you participated in a one night tournament in 2005, the Women's mm-hmm. Grand Prix. Tell us about that because you took that, you won that sucker, right? Three fights in one night? I did. Yeah, it was it was pretty great. Although I think that in the future, he changed the later on tournaments to three minute rounds because he was probably bored from mine. But um, yeah, no, it, was, <laughs> it was um yeah, it was great. It was fantastic. Um, I won that fight, uh, finished in the first round in two decisions, and it was um it was incredible. I mean, rarely do you get to fight three times in one night, and this wasn't a time where I think we were like things weren't sanctioned in Indiana at that point or anything like it wasn't like commissions are looking at your every move, at least not that I remember. I know there were officials there and stuff, but you know, like that's old school, old school, like where <laughs> you don't have and to get was, cleared to wear knee pads in the, <laughs> um, yeah. yeah what was the, what was the rule set on that? Was it, was it, could you knee on the ground or were there 12? To no, six elbows no, it was, um, no, he didn't like elbows at all. So I think because they, I don't know. Hook, I remember hook and shoot did not have elbows based on, I think, Oh, the Japanese some rules. of the Japanese rules. Yeah. Yeah. So you couldn't be on, on the ground. Yeah. Um, it does, but it, I mean, elbows are amazing. Like it, it's one of the things like you kind of wish yeah. you'd been throwing them forever. Yeah. So yeah, it was like, uh, yeah, I think it was like Japanese rules. So I think Bodog was the same way. No elbows, but you know, everything else, but you know, Soccer yeah, no kicks. strikes ahead of a grounded appointment. No, no, not that. I, I did one of those fights once in Washington state and I was, I forgot that you could do them. And then I got nailed. Three times in one night, like, like how, amazing, how? amazing, especially at that point, because women, you did not get to fight regularly. And so it was like, wow, I'm putting them in the bank. You know what I mean? Like I'm getting as many, I get to do this three times in a row. It wasn't, you know, like I have to, it was all I get to because every fight was just, you were so, at least me, so grateful to be able to fight. Like, I wanted to fight all the time everywhere. Um, and, and you were like one and two going into that because you had lost back-to-back fights mm-hmm. by submission to a woman named Jen Case. Like, Yeah, yeah. What were you, was your submission training just limited? To, were you training with Eric Paulson for, for your ground game at that point? No, uh, no, because Eric was in, in um, California and I was still in Indiana. I went out to Maryland. I worked as a nanny for a little bit. So I was out in Maryland on the East Coast. Um, <laughs> might be controversial to say training with the Lloyd Irvin people, but not a lot of this is 2000. You know, hey, you know, five, not a lot of news is broken at that point. So, you as know, long as like, your teammates and, didn't corral you in a parking garage, I think you'll probably be okay. I, I well, yeah, I mean, it's like, yeah, I mean, like no knowledge of anything. And honestly, the way the gym was one was very professional. And I was at a, um, at that point, I was at a two things happened. I was at a jujitsu school in Indiana. And then I was out there training with his gym and there's just more people to roll with. You know what I mean? Like more people who were really dead, like just, and more women. And it, it was, you know, for me, it was a, it was a pretty good time. The couple months I was out there, but, um, and in Vienna, I was at a jujitsu school I had changed from the Taekwondo school to jujitsu school. And so, you know, trying to hone my ground game. I, I would say that my early career is what not to do as a fighter. Don't just go in there as a white belt. Like, you know, like you should probably, I had done a couple tournaments. That was fine. I'd done some kickboxing fights. I, you know, I just really wanted to fight, but at that time, you know, who cares? Like you, it was for the joy of doing it. I mean, I hated losing, but it wasn't like, Oh, I'm going to build up a big record or anything. Did you ever boxing. run into Jen case again after she submitted you twice? Um, no, I don't think me. 
maybe I did. I, mean, I don't recall. I think she was still. No, I don't. I mean, um, <laughs> I think she like I think she ended up like getting a PhD in English. So y'all should be interviewing her. But like, like I only got a master's. <laughs> but um, like, no, but she, I like I don't know. I actually don't know what happened. To her. I don't know what happened to a lot of people. But at that time when I fought her, I was fighting at 155 as well. So the hook and two tournament was when I dropped to 135, um, which was my natural weight class. So 155 was kind of a bit big for me. Um, I'm, I'm short, <laughs> even though I'm strong, I'm probably not that strong, but it, you know, it was a good, it was a good move for me. Like to just kind of get down to a more natural weight class. I had a lot more confidence in, uh, the way my body could move and stuff like that. Like I, I felt more, you know, and I just felt more in shape, more in tune with kind of where I was supposed to be. So I was, it was a pretty good spot in my career to lose two times in a row, realize, okay, I really need to drop more than one weight class here. And I need to, you know, I need to be super, super focused on this. So, but I mean, you know, I, I don't think there was ever a rematch on the table after those two. I don't honestly know what happened with her. I see. Um, but you, you fought some, some names that are, that are, uh, you know, relatively well known today. Still, you fought, you took a loss to Shayna Baszler. She submitted yeah. you. Uh, you yeah. took a decision loss to Tara La Rosa before she became a proud boy um, street <laughs> fighter. And and uh, and 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 uh, also fought Amanda Buckner uh, at Bodog mm-hmm. in St. Petersburg. What was it like? Like, what were these? Because you, you fought King of the Cage and Cage Rage, um, mm-hmm. and and Bodog. Those are like the most known of the various events you were in. What was the most? Like, what was the least professional fight organization? You don't have to name them, but like any anecdotes about that. And what was the most professional of those? Like, what was it like going to St. Petersburg with Bodog? Oh, well, that was, that was fantastic. And it was really interesting. Like I actually, um, and in terms of like, like professionalism, that was, it was definitely a step up from what I had experienced before, you know, um, cause I went to, yeah, I went to St. Petersburg twice, but the first time against Buckner, like I was still like, I'd had a lot of fights. I did a lot of losses. So it was like, you know, there was that, there was really, I needed kind of to be able to step into a, a better me myself I felt like I was kind of still a b-level fighter at that point like you know I needed to really kind of step it up or figure some stuff out but um I when yes Bodog was way more professional but I think the first time I was ever drug tested wasn't till the Corano fight like that you know in 2007 I didn't get and it's like I wasn't on drugs but I it was a weird time then because I'm also like you know like super paranoid about people are saying we're going from dial up internet basically at that point, you know, so you just, you you never really know what's happening or what's going on and you just want the fights. So when I walked into Bodog or I was, you know, flown to Bodog, it was, again, it was a higher level, more professional thing where you need a passport. And all this other shit. Uh, I was like, um, still kind of just not taking it maybe as seriously. And I'm not saying that doesn't excuse my loss. Like Buckner beat me like hundred percent. Um, but like, it's one of those, like, where you're just a little bit overwhelmed and maybe trying to ham it up a little bit more than you should, instead of just, you know, focusing at the matters at hand, but I don't regret it. I mean, I've got a ton of losses. I don't, I don't like them, but I, it's not something I'm going to like think about now <laughs> too much. I do like reasoning with it though. I do like to think about being in different mindsets and different circumstances again, <laughs> but it's like, you know, it's like, whatever. I mean, I, I can barely remember what happened 10 years ago, so, or 20 years ago. You know? So it's like, you know, it was fun. <laughs> and so we, we posted a story a while back about some of your misadventures. Oh yeah. During that tournament, that kind oh, yeah. of infamous um, Tim Sylvia type stuff 
Uh, yeah. But tell us a story about soiling yourself right before meeting um, uh, Silvio Berlusconi, the then pre- prime minister of Italy, as well yeah, as yeah. Pooty Poot himself. Like, did you Pooty Poot yourself before you met Pooty Poot? <laughs> I definitely did. There was there was there was poopy in my pants when I met Putin. Yes, and um, <laughs> he deserves it. I would do it again if I could, except I'd throw it in his face at this point. But. Um, <laughs> but I, I, that was actually after that was when Buckner was actually in my corner for that fight. Um, that was after we had fought and I had moved out to New Mexico to train and I was fighting Yulia Berzakovich. And so the format for that uh, was, so that was after the, first the Corona photo. fight. Yeah, it was after the Corona fight because actually Berzakovich came to my like dressing room with a picture of me from that fight and handed it to me. It was very confusing. She was, she seemed really sweet. I don't know. Like, I was just like, <laughs> I, 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 I was confused by all of it. But that um, in that fight, yeah, I won against her in uh, a swing bout. Um, I beat her in a TKO. And in between the rounds, it was the first time I was uh, training with like a maybe more experienced professional corner than I had before. And uh, the corner put cold water in the back of my neck. And my nose was broken. Like she broke my nose like almost right away. Um, my nose is very breakable. <laughs> and she, you know, it's like, but, and so I was like, you know, trying to get through that, trying to kind of, I had this little shock moment with the ice in the back, the cold water and ice on the back of my neck. And I thought I sharted, turns out, or no, I, I'm sorry. I thought I farted. Turns out later on, it was a shart, but I didn't know that because they rushed me out of the cage after win, or excuse me, ring after winning, um, put me on a bus. And it was insane. Like, I didn't know where I was going or what was happening. And everybody else had gotten a chance to shower and clean up because okay. we were the swing bout. We were after, you know, the Fedor, uh, Matt Lindland fight, which was the main event. So <laughs> I was just totally confused in my fight shorts, trying to wipe blood off my face, you know, <laughs> like, and then I smell something on the bus and, uh, on the way to wherever we were going, like, um, and I was like, oh man, I must've stepped in puke because one of the guys had had a, a concussion and threw up, thrown up backstage and I'd seen it and I was like, oh, maybe he threw up on the floor and I didn't see it and I stepped in it or I got some on me. You're making case type fighting sound so glamorous. Oh, it's so glamorous. So glamorous. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, I got, yeah, we get to the, like, where it, we end up, like, they're taking us off of the bus with these armed guards are and stuff and ushering us into this palace and it was where, you know, it was Vladimir Putin's palace or whatever in St. Petersburg and uh, we get escorted to a, a dinner or a tea or something set out. I, it was, it's, these are details that are hard to remember. This is, you know, the stuff that I have to look into my old notes for if I still have them. And, um, and yes, yeah, like, <laughs> um, Berlusconi comes over, starts talking and he starts hitting on me and I'm still smelling the this smell. This is basically the Donald Trump of Italy. Like he, he pioneered many of the horrible. tactics and, <laughs> and behaviors that Donald Trump would later uh, bring to the American public in Italy around this time. Uh, yeah. Had I, I don't want to know. See, had I yeah. but known at these times that I've been any kind of savvy about geopolitical affairs or had the mindset that I have now, my God, the power in that moment I could have had, but I didn't know. <laughs> like I, I had just fought. I'd gotten cracked and my nose was broken. And, you know, Amanda got me out of the situation with this creepy old Italian dude hitting on me. Um, and so, yeah, you know, tell us about this. How, what is, what is the game of elderly Italian prime ministers? Like how, how does he approach a, a shardy he cage does, fighter? He, we were sitting at a table and he came up behind us, which is very strange. Like, you know, it was like all of a sudden, like he's this like red faced weird dude, you know, like saying something. It's a language. Uh, it was Italian. I don't speak. I wish I'd have recognized it. Cause that would have been cool. But yeah. And, like he had a translator and the translator was like, he, he wants to, 
know if you have a boyfriend. Um, and the man is like, yeah, I'm married. And I was like, no. And he wants to know if he could be your boyfriend tonight. Classic. <laughs> that that was yeah what a good line i'm like no bye <laughs> like who are you and then it was like a later on you realize who that is you're like oh well no <laughs> definitely no <laughs> i mean could he be a sweet in the pot i mean some private jet flights like anything he could oh god oh my cabinet god seat? Can you imagine? I mean, oh god how creepy and then gotten poisoned later that's more pretty style than berlusconi <laughs> Yeah. But the thing is, yeah, I was I was sitting there in crap. Like we went to the bathroom and that's when I realized and I was just like, holy crap. So it's like I take my underwear off because I don't know what to do. There's no trash cans. So it's just like I ball it up. I'm not gonna sit around and soil, you know, underwear. So I ball it up behind the toilet and just like shove it around and try to clean myself up. Put my sweatshirt around my waist, which is a little bit gross when you think about like, you know, I was in my fight shirt which had blood on it and stuff like that. So probably should kept sweatshirt on. But, um, you know, yeah, and then we go back and like, and then Vladimir Putin's there too. And, you know, people are mingling, but also sitting down and he gives this long speech about, you know, being proud of our countrymen and this and that, or representing our country as well. And I'm just sitting there thinking, yeah, yeah, I brought a lot of dignity to this for America. Yeah. <laughs> go check your bathroom, sir. So did you, you, know? to, did you get to meet Putin? Did you look into yeah, his soul? Yeah, there's a picture. Like, I book? don't remember. I don't remember taking this picture. There's a picture of me, like grinning with my arm around him he's in between me and amanda and it, yeah and i'm just like grinning like and it's like you look back and it's like oh my god like some people would look at those having your picture taken with hitler right now like it's just like great <laughs> yay julie <laughs> we didn't know what's going on I, mean, I shouldn't put it that you know i shouldn't put it that strongly everybody is their own brand of monster hitler is hitler Putin is, but you know what i mean like i'm not trying to yeah, minimize I, I, anything yeah. or yeah make um like yeah I'm just saying it was just like one of those things where it's just like this guy has a ways to go to catch monster. up with Hitler. He does, but he is a, he is a monstrous human being. Yeah. But yeah, that, that, that was a, a, a he's responsible for a lot of deaths. Yes, yes. Yes, he is. And, and he's, yeah, a lot of deaths, a lot of corruption, a lot of like, holy shit. I can't believe like, I'm sorry. How's his handshake though? Was it, was his hand? Oh, that's fine. We're, oh, paying, you know, if the thing content. was like, do you know what it reminded me of? I went to go see Bob Dylan in concert once and I was like, he couldn't sing at all. Like, oh, it was older Dylan. This was 20 years ago, but older Dylan, but he would just stand there. He just had this like, that's aura. younger, older Dylan. Yeah. Younger, older Dylan. But it was just like, again, it was just like, I, I loved Dylan so much, but you couldn't, I mean, it was, it was not good. It was not a good concert, but it was still like, he, you know, but he just stands there and I'm talking about Bob Dylan. He stands there on stage after finishing on one hand and his head just stares at you and everybody's just in awe and screaming. And it was that kind of, it is that, um, that presence. I don't know how to explain it. Cause like Putin's not a super tall guy or a super handsome guy or anything, but there's something, some people have this, like, I don't know what it is. It's like this magnetism. And it's creepy to say that about somebody who's pretty awful, but it's true. A lot of really awful people, get into power and they yeah, either learn I mean, how to display this or they've always had it but it's like there's a historical consensus that yeah. hitler goebbels Goering, they were all charismatic magnetic people yeah. heinrich himmler they could hold yeah. a room donald trump can hold a room i mean that doesn't yes. mean you're a good guy or a bad guy it just means this person yeah. is charismatic it's yeah you know, if you play D D, you know sometimes you can have an 18 charisma and still be chaotic evil so no <laughs> shame there how but before we move off to bodog because i, I want to get to the gina chrono fight like how I've always heard that Bodog really hooked up the fighters, like luxury suites, great food, top-notch travel. To access the bonus content of this show, you must be a paid subscriber. To do that, 
Go to bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com and subscribe today. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Podcast production. Subscribe at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com. Give us your email and receive notifications when your favorite shows drop straight into your inbox. We're also found on a wide variety of podcast outlets. Just search for Bloody Elbow Podcast and you will get new shows throughout the week, including the MMA Bunker and MMA Tete-a-Tete shows with Kid Nate, the Level Change Podcast, the Hey Not the Face Podcast, the MMA Vivisection Main Card and Prelims UFC Preview Shows, the Sixth Round Post Fight Show, the Show Money Podcast, and the MMA Depressed Us.